Good Tuesday evening. You're listening to the Black Cash Podcast. I'm your co-host Matt here with Shane. What's up, buddy? What's going on, my man? Nothing, nothing. We had a break last week. Yep. Some things came up, so stuff happens. <clears throat> All good. Yep. All good. We have a guest in studio tonight. If you want to call it a studio, whatever. But uh, my brother-in-law, Mike McLaughlin. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Good to have you. Um, our intro that we just played. Um, you played the lead guitar on that. Yeah. Yep. And Chad was the lead singer for Mad Mordigan, which you were the lead guitarist for them yep. as well. Yep. And you guys were pretty big deal a few years ago. Kind of, yeah. Kinda. You guys were on the brink, weren't you? Yeah, almost famous, I guess. Kinda. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? or? Sure. Okay. I've had, uh, we've had a few people contact us through um, like Facebook and our webpage about asking, where can I find this? Where can I find this? And I'm like, well, I I could probably send it to you, but I didn't know if I had permission, so I never have. But I know there's we've had people reach out wanting wanting to hear that or hear more of that type of music from you guys. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's what I'm doing with Chad right now. That's his thing. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know that he's posting stuff, uh, but if if I find out he is, I'll. I'll give you guys a link to it. So awesome. you don't have a full band back together, right? You guys just kind of collaborating, just jamming out more or less. Yeah. 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 Nothing. Nothing set in stone or anything. Yeah. No. He pretty it. much just calls me up and says, "Hey, we do some solos on these songs or some lead parts over these gotcha areas or whatever." So yeah. So what got you started in uh, the whole band thing? Wow. Uh, that's. Uh, a little question <laughs> um well i guess you know i'm gonna uh, all right i'm gonna backtrack uh, a lot to a long time ago and then i'll make it circle around later sure uh you know when i was six years old my parents listened to like a lot of the like pop rock type stuff carpenters mm-hmm. you know, john denver yeah kenny rogers you're saying they smoke a little smoke a little pot no, 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 no. Not my parents. <laughs> no. They're pretty conservative. Yeah, folks. they're yeah. No, they no, they just listened to music that really kind of sucked <laughs> to me. Uh, but at the time, it was all right, and some of it's good. You know, like, I like some mm. of that stuff. But but uh, what I'm getting at is like, so one day I walked into Kmart. You know, I was like six years old, and I go over there, and I'm going over to the Star Wars figures, right? Because when you're a kid, then you just yeah, Your mom did whatever, and you went. Yeah, to you can do. Section. Yeah, yep. And I saw these albums uh, just on my way over there. I never seen them. It was like this big box in the middle of the aisle, and I'm picking them up, and it's all the uh, 
the Kiss solo albums. Oh, nice. And I had no idea who Kiss was. I had, I just saw these pictures on these albums that I thought was really, really cool. And so I guess from there, just talking, like our neighbors, our next door neighbors were really good friends with ours, or with our whole family. And uh, one day, I must have just told them about this thing. I didn't know who Kiss was. I don't even know if, like I even knew who the band was, but uh, they gave me the Love Gun album one day and I put that thing on and I, it was like I got hit by a thunderbolt or something you were like, hooked yeah like it was like the coolest thing I ever heard in my life it probably could have been any like hard rock band Iron Maiden ACDC or whatever you probably at the time didn't know what Love Gun was about oh, yeah for sure <laughs> I didn't know that <laughs> for sure but uh, it was just that style of music that really got me, and then, and because it was Kiss, I guess that would that really influenced a lot of the things. You know, I was six years old. Right. Well, I mean, we had the costumes, and so it was intriguing to you, probably. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it really just made me wanted to be Ace Frehley. Yeah. I, even at you know like that age, I wanted to play guitar. So, uh, you know, like fast forward to like when I was twelve. Now. Uh, I don't. My, I had an older sister. Well, I had two older sisters, but um, now her friends—they all like all the people in the neighborhood that were my older sister's age. They all got together, and uh, you're good. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> Lights dimmed there for a minute. And so, uh, one day there's electric guitar just was in our house and I, I don't know where it came from uh but it, it was one of my sister's friends and i i just started playing it and i started playing like i was pretty good at uh learning by ear you know like hearing a song and yep. then playing a song yep so i started playing uh detroit rock city the solo to it i started playing um yeah there's a there was a tom petty song at the time uh I don't even remember the name of it, but yeah, it was on on TV all the time. But I, it was just a single; it was a simple solo. So I started playing that, and then uh, that's how kind of I got like, like I really got into it. I really started pressing my parents to get me a guitar, and eventually we ended up buying that guitar, and that's where I started out. I was probably about twelve years old, and. Then I started taking lessons for a little bit, and the cool thing about doing lessons, uh, which they still do today, I can uh, attest to because my son's taking lessons now, is you go for half the time and they teach you theory, and then the other half, you give them a song you want to learn, and they teach you. So now, like, I'm going every week and I'm learning Kiss songs, right? Right. And with the, you go with your son? No, he's saying back when he was. Oh, back. Oh, sorry. I was fixing the. Electrical problem there. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Back back when I was young, and uh, so I, I'm learning all these kids. So I thought I was a, uh, you know, like I was uh, early Metallica fan, like before Master of Puppets came out. So I'm learning Metallica songs and, um, you know, any of the that kind of genre, right? Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where uh, I could play Kiss Alive. I would turn like I had you know. I had a loud stereo now when I'm older. I like I could say when I'm 15, 16. So I got a, a loud stereo. I got a loud amp, and I would crank it all up in my house, and I would play alive all the way through, 
all the solos, all the songs. And one day between CD one and CD two, I hear all this banging going on and I, I run downstairs and it's this kid. He's like, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm like, it was just before, I know it's just before I turned 16. Cause I remember my, my mom dropping me off a couple of times to his house, but it was this kid in the neighborhood. He was probably like 13 and he played drums. And so we just started getting together and we, you know, he wasn't really much of a kiss fan, but he appreciated, you know, that kind of music. And we had the, the mutual, you know, Metallica, Anthrax, Megadeth type stuff. And so we just started playing cover songs and, um, and we did that for a good, you know, almost 10 years, just every once in a while. And we, and later on we started writing our own stuff and he was in a band. I never got into a band, um, but he was in a band for a little bit. And, uh, then one day I, I showed up and I'm just going to record with him or not record, but play with him. And he's, there's another guitar player there. I had no idea. And the other guitar player was Dylan who ended up being our, uh, rhythm. Ryth- yep. A rhythm yep. guy. And we just started playing some of the, our stuff that we like Wes and I had wrote. And then he had some stuff that he brought and, it all really clicked really well. And I think, I mean, like he was a cool dude and we got along really well. And, uh, then, you know, we kind of like, well, what's next? And he's like, well, I got a, I got a friend who's a singer. I was in a band with him in high school. And, uh, and Dylan was, a, he was around Wes's age. I think a little younger, maybe a year younger. And, uh, so they were kind of like, they were just getting out of high school, you know, maybe a couple of years. I'm just getting out of college, like right around that time. And so he brings the singer and then we start writing songs together and we're looking for a bass player and we get one bass player and it was kind of a, he didn't really work out well. Didn't fit. Yeah. It was kind of weird. <laughs> you know, he, he, he showed up in like <clears throat> eyes out shirts. Most, ba- most bass players are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of weird. How that works. <laughs> but, uh, so there, so, uh, let's see, it was a Wes, our drummer. Uh, he he knew a kid that we went that lived in our neighborhood that he was working with that could play bass and then ironically Chad and had met um Ron at a party like a couple weeks earlier and so when we the new bass player shows up it's uh, a kid that I knew from the neighborhood and then uh, somebody that uh Chad knew from meeting at a party so now I mean it's, we basically just started jamming together and then everything really kind of clicked and that was that was the band you know like that was uh, kind of the start of it right so what, what was your band what's your or was or is your band's band's name it's Mad Mortigan Mad Mortigan where'd you guys come up with that name at well so I didn't I had no idea that the actual name came from the movie Willow and it was like a oh, variant okay. yeah. of a character. Oh, okay. I had never seen it before. Willow! Yeah. The, it, with, the, with the little midgets running around. Yeah. I've never seen the movie. So You've never seen, seen Willow? I've no. never seen the you movie. you got to be shitting me. No. You guys grew up in the 80s. you never seen Willow? <laughs> no, no. No. Come on. No. All right. Yeah. Homework, so then you guys... Ho- homework assignment. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I guess the that. character is Val Kilmer's character. Yeah. They had Martigan. Yeah. Oh, yep. okay. Yep. So that... And they had come up with it. And then when I heard it, I was like, yeah, it sounds good to me. Yeah, whatever. 
Yeah, and then how did you guys start booking shows? And I mean, how did you even just like small venues probably at first and like normal? Yeah, stuff. well, we started out. Um, we started out at a place called Wits End. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Mm-mm. It's not around anymore. It, it was uh, it's on Airport Highway over by Burn. Okay. And it was a two-story house that was converted into a bar. And when you walked through the front door, you could go immediately up the steps and be in the second story where the band played. Mm-hmm. Or you went to the left and then you're in the bar. And they didn't really... Like, I don't know how many, like, if they were booking a lot of bands. And we called them up, and they're like, yeah, you guys can you guys can play. And they're like... Uh, so it was like a neighborhood, kind of? It was kind of, well, it was definitely a neighborhood bar. Right. Yeah. I don't know, like, you got, how, you got residents living on either side of it. People were pissed off, but you got bands playing. Well, it was on airport, so I... I yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> yeah. It's a busy area down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. I think they kind of commercialized the, yeah. the area. Yeah. Gotcha. But, um... We that what they told us in is that you know, we can we're, we have total control of the door, charge whatever you want, keep all, all that money. Uh, just make sure that the people that are going left and not upstairs aren't paying. Right. So and I don't know how much we charge five or ten bucks probably five. And I didn't you know doing our first show I wasn't expecting a really whole lot. Yeah, I had a couple of friends that probably showed up. Um, I never like my family never ever came to the shows like my sisters and my parents but the other guys their family uh, they always showed up their parents always showed up and Chad and Dylan I don't know if it was a following or like they they came from Erie mm-hmm. and they had a lot of people show up nice. to that show <clears throat> I mean this I, is your must, first show, or this yeah, is this is our first show, gotcha. and we pretty much packed it. Nice. nice, you know, we pretty much packed the upstairs, and we actually ran the bar out of beer. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't bad. Well, that kind of sets the bar for the band too, though. I mean, it's like, well, you got all these people here, but you better put on a good performance. It does, and you know, our first performance was it was all right. I mean, there were some things that uh, we didn't do well. You know, you. you, you, you that's weird like when you're playing in a band it's like you know you got to be tight and, right. and to get tight you can be a bad like you could listen to music that's not good but if you see a band that's tight mm-hmm. you can appreciate the music and so that was one of the things that we really kind of honed in on is we got to be tight when we're on stage and um you know you gotta have good transitions you don't want to play a song and then like take a five minute smoke break or you know right well, and you want to, if one person in the band screws up, everyone knows how to keep playing through it. Yep, there's that, because that wanna, always happens. Yeah, and uh, you just know the beat, and, you know, the drummer's off a little bit, and you try to help him catch up, or the bass guy's smoking pot and not paying attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> or the guitar, you miss, you know, you miss a freaking, whatever. There's always something. Good bands just play right through it, yeah. and nobody will even notice it, especially the crowd. I mean, no one's going to. They're all drunk, party right. and having a good time. They can know if you you missed a chord or something like that, you know. Yeah, and well, the other big thing like is uh, to be in tight and or you know to playing well or whatever is you got to have the sound has uh, this. There's two things going on 
sound wise at a show you had the sound that you hear in the audience and then you had the sound that you hear on the stage and it's completely mm-hmm. different i can't hear what if you're in the audience i can't hear what you're hearing all i can hear really especially in a small place mm-hmm. is my my rig behind me you know my amps they're all jacked up and uh the bass player and the drummer pretty much because they're you're so close to the drummer and the bass is just fills out right space uh and so if i can't hear the singer and i can't hear dylan the, the rhythm player on the other side of the stage unless you have a, a monitor set up right so a monitor set up you know for people today it's pretty much all in ear monitors but you know, back in our day, they're the wedge. The wedge is in the front of the stage. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you're listening to. Is you want to have a good monitor mix. So, that was super important. I don't know that we uh, knew that at the first show that we did. I guess we kind of did. That's yeah, a learning curve. Yeah, obviously. yeah. But I, you know, like after that show, we're like, well, the monitor sucked, and we're not sure how it sounded out in the in the audience, and so. After, like, we really concentrate, like, well, I'll just say we got our sixth man in the band was Dylan's dad. He came in to be, a, to be our sound guy, and I can't even tell you how much of a difference it has to have your own sound guy. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yep. You tell um, you, hey, voice is low, you're high, tell you guys how to adjust your shit. Well, he just came, like, he would uh, balance the sound for the, you know, the audience. Probably. Oh, yeah. So, yep. You sound really so you sound good because the guys that are running the boards for a lot of these places they don't give a shit about what no. you sound like. No, they just want to turn shit on and go talk to ladies and. Yeah, or they might mic up the first band really good, but the first band's not going to sound have the the same levels as the next band. Right. So you're you just don't you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. So having our own sound guy that really helped, and so the venue, you know, Wits End was like. You know, we ran them out of beer, right? So they wanted us to come back. They're pretty much, come back anytime you want to come back. Right, right. They made it a lot of money that night. Yeah. Just all beer sales or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And actually, we made a lot of money. Like, we would come to find out later, like, we made, because they gave us 100% of the door, right? I, we made, like, five to 700 bucks, something like that. For your first show? Yeah. That, that's encouraging. Well, and... <laughs> When we started playing downtown, when we when we left Wits End, we thought we were going high class. But then we they were getting like, uh, here's 150 bucks, here's 200 bucks. Right. And we'll go back to Wits End and make more money. <laughs> yeah. In a house bar. Yeah, and well, we'll get to it later. But uh, even when we were open up for Ted Nugent, they were like, here's 500 bucks. You know, 500 bucks drove them for Uncle Ted. Yeah. Yep. Wow. But. I, that, all right, so moving on to with the Wits End thing. So uh, we actually went in there, uh, Dylan really and his dad and maybe Chad. Uh, they went in there, they rewired everything. They got all the monitors sounding good. They got the the house uh, speakers sounding good. We went and did a show. It was really good. And I, I, I don't know if like we played there three, four times, five times. But eventually we went there after spending hours or those guys spending hours of working on the system and everything was gone like another band went in there and they just stole everything no, no shit. shit yeah and so that's kind of how we were like all right well we got to start Move doing down. gigs yeah yeah so expand your audience and 
venues and everything like that. Yeah. So what what was the height of Man Mordigan by the time before you guys disbanded or whatever you want to call it? I mean, you guys were up there. I mean, you can still find you guys on YouTube. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> well, I know our 2016 show is on YouTube. Yeah. I was looking it up. Well, because Shane texted me. What that? One of the guys about if we can send them the uh, file for the intro song. I was like, no, we don't have rights to that. We're just being we're graced with the fact that Chad and you guys are letting us use it for our intro. Because um, I was like, well, just tell the dude to go on YouTube. You, you can find you guys. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna go look for you too. Because I I've looked at them before, but it's like been two years. I'm like, oh, I'll go re-listen to you guys. So you're you're still on YouTube. You know, somebody recorded your shows wherever just random people it wasn't like a specific uh youtube channel it's just random people that were in the crowds at night so i mean it's crappy cell phone video right but you can see you guys play you know so it's kind of cool stuff that's out there that's cool yeah i just i just knew that one show yeah uh well so that that was uh we we did that show at wit's end that was 90 yeah that was 98 and that was right around my birthday. And we had kind of like hallmark dates right around my birthday. So we were gigging around, blah, blah, blah. And coming to 99. And that's when we got the headline Frankie's. And to me, I don't know. Like, Shane, I don't know. Do you know what Frankie's is? Yep. I yep. mean. I, uh, I used to be in a band. So I know I know where you're, what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, so Frank, yeah, so Frankie's. You go back in the eighties and nineties. They had huge bands. Yep. Mm-hmm. 100%. wasn't Kid Rock and all that. Was that Frankie's or that was? I went to a couple spots up into the mid two thousands. They had pretty relevant va- bands playing there. Yeah, well, yeah, and I don't know if Kid Rock ever played there, but I got my uh, Biden notes here, and uh, <laughs> I, I wrote. You ain't calling certain uh, journalists. <laughs> I, I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Matt, you can no longer ask questions. <laughs> My handler said you can't ask questions anymore. Um, I I wrote down some bands that played there before us, and it, it was Puddle of Mud, L Seven, Pod, White Stripes, Tea Party, Verb Pipe, Limp Biscuit, Creed, Insane Clown Posse, Cold Chamber, Bloodhound Gang, Smashing Pumpkins, Weezer, and Nirvana. Yeah. Yep, and so when we headlined on Frankie's, that to me, I like I never thought we were going to get any bigger than that. Like that was like huge in my mind that we ever played that show, and that was the only that was the only show my parents ever came to. <laughs> and I remember, I remember I had some buddies that were like, "Your parents look like they just showed up at like a, I don't know, a Satan's goat <laughs> yeah. sacrifice right. ritual." So they yeah they never came back to a show but that that was a cool show um, that was a show that Chad put on red dye and ruined my not ruined but he put a stain on my yellow Les Paul forever could never get it out yeah but Still there. I mean you got the memory now though too though every right. time you look at it it's like man we we headlined Frankie's that day right and that was uh, I believe it was like I think the Friday was the seventeenth was my birthday and we played it on September eighteenth was that show nice nice. So, then we then we uh, what we did is we, we after that show sometime after that 
uh, pretty close. We we cut an EP where so we we took we never took the the show money and gave it to each other. Right, we might reinvested. Yeah, yeah. So we would buy merchandise that we'd sell, you know, like bought shirts and then we'd sell shirts or stickers and or upgrade amps or whatever you wanted to or had to do. Or is that all you individually? That was all individual. Gotcha. Except we did uh we did help our drummer out. We bought him a drum kit. Man, um, I wish I was your guys' drummer at the time. <laughs> yeah, well I mean he was married and had kids, so I'm, well <laughs> me too. Yeah, well, we were all single. So but I, we were, I, do, I do have three sets, so I, I guess I'm kind of spoiled. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> nice. Yeah, so, uh, but mostly, it, we sp- like we spent a lot of money to get that CD done. And we did it here at Toledo, called a uh, studio called Matrix. Okay. I don't even know if they're still around today. And a friend of ours, um, Jeremiah, produced it. And it really, it really was kind of like a live sound you know it wasn't overmastered and overdone yeah. what do you mean yeah and i'm not sure that it was even like i don't want to say it was bad quality but it wasn't really good but it just it was good enough it was good enough it's yeah. more raw quality where they didn't clean everything up and yeah i, I get what you're saying yeah, yeah i mean we layered things on there but there was no like fixes there was no like software to make it sound better or anything like that it was uh, everything was live. No auto tune. Right. No auto tune. <laughs> I hate auto tune. Yeah. It sucks. But that CD we did, we uh, our singer has sent it up to 89X as part of a contest to play at the 2000 birthday bash. This is, those are Dave and Chuck the Freak days. Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, downtown julie brown right yep yeah so and we we actually did a a show with her eventually but so what happened was we submitted that cd i didn't even know he submitted it and i'm not sure i even knew until we were selected as one of the five bands to play uh to compete to go play for the birthday bash nice and so we would go up to detroit and we we went on. There was five. There's four other bands, five total, and we all got to play. We had a small. We all had like like a 15 minute set or something like that. And when we got done, so we were like, I'm pretty sure we were the last band that played, and we killed it. Like I knew we killed it. Like I, I knew it was going to be us or it was going to be the other band. Uh, there was one other band that was really good, but they were more like a classic type rock band. And I don't think that's what they were looking for for 89X show. Right, so, right. Th- that's back when they were still alternative. You know their country station now? <laughs> I, I know I can't. <laughs> I couldn't they're, believe it when I turned it on. <laughs> their country station now. It's a shock, yeah. You're like, I want to listen to some uh, rock and roll. And it's like, and I like country, don't get me wrong, but it, I was just, I wanted to hear some rock and roll. Well, in 89X used to play a lot of the local bands. You know, they, you know, I think it was, was it Saturday night or, or something like that? They'd play local shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and we got to do that. Uh, so we won the birthday bash, and I remember. So uh, we, I walked, I walked off the stage, and there's some dude standing down there, and he's holding up a card in his hand. And I, I go over there, and he's like, "Great set, give me a call when you get a chance." And I look at it, and it says Columbia Records and our rep, 
fucking a dude yeah <laughs> it gives me chills listening to it like I, yeah i couldn't even believe it i was like dumbfounded right and we had just won and the guys were all you know we're all happy and celebrating and when we get out back i go look what i got in my fucking hand right now right 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 and i showed them that and uh and obviously we were just ecstatic right so uh i got you know the next thing is we give this guy a call and uh, I know we're getting here close to break, so... Yeah, yeah you're good, dude. we got a minute and a half, so okay. finish here. So we give him a call, and he he's like, yeah, we're, we're uh, you know, we're interested in, in signing you, maybe. You know, we needed to hear some more stuff, but he had also worked for Doug Banker, and Doug Banker was Ted Nugent's manager. Okay. And so he hooked us up with Doug Banker, and then Doug Banker would become our manager. And Chris also worked, uh, the guy from A&R, from Columbia Records, the A&R guy, he also worked at the studio. So this kind of all tie in uh, okay. to some later stuff. Yes. I think this is a good spot to take a little breather. Yep, <clears throat> for sure. We'll be back in just a second. Yo, welcome back. Black Cash Podcast with our cool-ass guest has traveled the states, playing all kinds of shows, fucked around with Ted Nugent. <laughs> and now we have him in our little studio. Studio, <laughs> yes. Welcome right, back, so, everybody. So when we, uh, before we took our break, we were, you guys were walking off stage. You got this uh, card from a guy from Columbia Records. Yeah. Get back and you're showing to to the dudes in your band. What happened? So, uh, so we ended up calling, obviously, and uh, and I, I, like we kind of broke. So he was uh, he represented Columbia Records, and he also re- uh, represented Doug Banker, who is a, a pretty big manager in the music industry. And Doug Banker managed Ted Nugent, and he had like Jackal, and uh, he had some his biggest client was actually in hong kong some pop star i didn't ever heard of her but, Got, um, gundam style guy <laughs> it could have been i don't know <laughs> who knows what that is so yeah <laughs> but yeah he had like hootie and the blowfish i know it was another one of his but they were pretty much dead by then but so ted was kind of his big guy and well he uh so chris uh lobbied for us with his boss at columbia to uh get interested so like she came out i can't remember her name but she came out to uh listen to us and she was she was interested and they were gonna um this is gonna be later down the line but they were gonna pay for a demo record for them so we were gonna do a demo record that they were gonna pay for and then we'd also talked to doug through chris and met with him and then we ended up signing a contract with him um uh, you know i don't know the terms of the contract but it would we if if we would have hit it big we would have been stuck with him for like three or four albums at least mm. type of thing 
and so that all that kind of was going on but then we hit we hit the show right the 89x birthday bash so bash so we played that show and that went pretty well that was uh uh i get my biden notes out because but we played with the deftones elwood uh, eve six joy drop and uncle cracker and then kid rock showed up to that show with uncle cracker so i was, I was gonna say cool. he used to kid uh or well <clears throat> uh, uncle cracker used to um wasn't he in kid rock's band yeah 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 okay and then he kind of just went out on his own yeah and that was really early on yep yep uh when we played with him so that was a cool show uh i remember we had some write-ups in the paper about us and stuff like that i don't i didn't keep any of it but um that was the first time we ever signed boobs nice so was, now you guys yeah. are just basically weekend warriors with regular jobs at this time right yeah yeah so what, what were you doing you know on the weekends you're playing with eve six you're playing with uh uncle cracker you know all these guys deftones on the weekends so <laughs> what 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 are you doing on the weekdays uh, well i worked at a place called temp glass in perrysburg um the, the other guys all had jobs various various jobs and uh we practice a lot right you know like yeah we kinda, work, just go jam out and write new songs and practice and yeah and we pretty much i try to get together three three times a week but it's kind of sucked like walking into that factory like fuck dude you know what i just did last weekend now i'm in here fucking stomping concrete it, yeah <laughs> yeah it was weird I i remember my boss was like he was worried that we were gonna uh i was gonna quit any day but which uh, could have happened it could have happened yeah it didn't but it's it, a good place to have your boss <laughs> yeah yeah that's true too yeah so sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i was just curious yeah yeah it's, just regular dudes and then oh, no it's not a big deal we're just playing you know we just played a show with the deftones <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it, yeah it was it was a weird dynamic it kind of was and um all right so we did the birthday bash and then they so and then we then that's i think after that's when we really hooked up with doug and he was like hey uh we're gonna put you on shows with Ted Nugent. And so Well, that's not an insult. Like what how did what how do you take that kind of news like I'm gonna go play with Ted Nugent now? Like <laughs> dude, that's gotta be like holy shit. What yeah, it was really really kind, cool. kind of surreal. Yeah. Like really we're gonna go out with Ted like we went on the Whiplash Bash. Jeez. In two thousand. Yeah. And it was a small tour. It was it was just one week. But uh We'd actually played our first show with Ted was at Irvine, Irvine Plaza in New York and Irvine Plaza. Like it's another like like a Frankie's of New York, you know, like can you name a band. They they played, they played there. there. Right. Um, if they weren't a CBGB type band, they played at Irvine. And that was our first show. And that was actually on. So I kind of said that I kind of on birth dates. Mm-hmm. That was on my birthday uh, in 2000. Uh, and we went out there. We had to rent, you know, we had to rent a van. Uh, we stayed in New Jersey because it was cheaper. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, we had the the fun experience of trying to to. And we had a trailer too. And I, and I was I always drove because I was I guess the responsible one. <laughs> um, I was the one that could pass a piss test because <laughs> right. I you know I had to do that at work. 
and uh so that was that was always a challenge like that was driving new york was a challenge yeah downtown new york man. oh it's horrible yep. yeah. I be, i've been through there with a semi oh my god oh, <laughs> oh boy yeah no yeah well then i guess you know what it's like it's probably a lot worse with a semi but well it's just walking through it sucks. wasn't bad <laughs> until you had to go through the tunnels yeah and it was tight oh my god yeah i bet yep but so so we played that first show and that was the show we, that was that was the only time we ever talked to ted that first show then he brought us back in his dressing room he met us he was real nice to us and he always been he's always i had always been good to us in interviews and stuff he would uh, say yeah I'm, I'm playing with man ward again and and we we totaled we did 17 shows with him um in a week no oh that was just t- in all total we because we did a lot of one-off that, shows like okay. this one like so we played in new york I gotcha. okay for this one this one time and then um so like I said, we met him. He was a really good guy to us. He uh, treated us really well. Uh, but that was it. We never, we never talked to him after that. Seventeen shows. Him. You never talked to him again. Nope. Wow. And we never talked to anybody in his band, uh, at least until he, he had Tommy Clefettos. And Tommy was a Michigan local boy. And I don't know exactly. I don't know where exactly he came from, but. There was a time when we were talking about replacing our drummer, and our management said, "You need to get this guy named Tommy Clefettos." And we 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 ended up not doing it. We didn't want to replace our drummer. We were, you know, loyal to him. He was a friend of ours, and uh, we ended up replacing him later down the line. Another story. But uh, Tommy was a uh, Tommy hung out with us when he played with Ted, and and he went on to play with. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Well, first Rob Zombie, then Ozzy Osbourne, then Black Sabbath. So nice. he's, um, but uh, Tommy Aldridge and Marco Mendoza, the two guys that were in Ted's band, those guys never talked to us ever. No, they kind of looked at us like peons. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, well, that kind of sucks. Yep. But yeah. so we did that show, and it was it was it was good. It was a weird though, because you know Matt knows our music, and you know, I guess you play. You know the 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 song that Chad had that sounds like a Mad Morgan song, so it's a lot different than Ted's music, right? Yeah, Ted's more like seventies rock kind of ish. Yeah. I don't know how you explain Ted. He's higher energy, yeah, for sure. And, and it, it's a classic rock, and you yeah. know we're, we would go to shows, and you know we were in our twenties, and all the audience members. He's got his big guitar sound. Oh yeah, yeah, and I mean, you guys are more rock. I mean, but you guys are like a younger demographic, so you're you're playing to a younger demographic that wasn't around with uh, Ted and his his time and his music. Which you know, nothing against Uncle Ted. I I love Ted Nugent, but you guys are totally different generations. And try to and and then I guess trying to combine those to make it flow together because you're opening up for him, so you're just kind of setting the bar for him. I don't. I don't think it would work very well. What would you guys? What would you consider uh, Man Morgan or what? What you would like to prefer to play? I mean, like more like grungy rock, kind of a little bit dirty, but not. Because sometimes some of the solos you do are pretty technical stuff. You know, I, we always just called it rock and roll. I know, right? But there's so many <laughs> genres now that yeah. everybody's got to. They got to park themselves in somewhere. It, it, you it, know, we kind of sounded, I guess, like kind of like. Uh, maybe like heavier Queens of the Stone Age or yeah. Uh, yeah. early Deftones yeah. or yep. early Alice in Chains. I get that, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. You can call it non-binary. <laughs> That's a term Matt uses a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you're around. <laughs> yeah, so it was a weird dynamic, but, um, it, you know, for the most part, we got over well. And a lot of times we go, like, right in the audience after the show, and that kind of, that helps. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that you're uh, humble and just a regular person. Yeah. So did you guys have, uh, and hopefully your wife doesn't listen to this, but did you guys have groupies at the time? You know, there were definitely possibilities that were available. Yeah. But we didn't have any, like, tra- like there wasn't anybody like, to, like, travel or anything. Right, or, right. So right. you didn't have any roadies that were setting up all your shit for you? It was you well, guys or? Well, when we went to New York, that's the first time we, well, no, I guess we started locally. We were playing, like, we did have some guys, like, three, four guys that would, would come into the show and help us move equipment. So when we went to New York, uh, we had at least three guys. Uh, we brought Dylan's dad, our sound guy. Um, so you know, obviously that's all the all added expense when we weren't making any money. And then when we did the Whiplash Bash show, so that Whiplash Bash, he always did those shows in December. And usually he did like a month or two of touring, but by this time he, you know, he slowed down his touring. So we did, we did uh, six shows, and six nights. And we we started off. We went to Appleton, Wisconsin, was the first place, and we played in. And I imagine it was a hockey rink, it, but I don't know. It looked like a hockey rink, but there was sand in there too. I don't. So I don't know if they convert to volleyball courts, but uh, that was our first show. And this, I tell you, like this is one of the hardest shows I ever played in my life because it wasn't heated. There was no heat in there. Oh, jeez. You know, so we're the early guitar. You know, this is December 26th <laughs> in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin. <laughs> there was no, like, zero lighting. Like, we had no lighting. So I'm up on stage. I can't feel my fingers, and I can't see the fretboard. <laughs> right. So that was a tough show. That was one. Of, that was definitely the hardest show to do my solos on. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing rhythm's pretty easy. You know, it's, you get... Strum along, and you, know. you get, yeah, well, you get in your rhythm, obviously. Yeah, and, I mean, you get your well, lead, you've got to be your pinpoint, your well, fi- everything. Is, and, and it's it's just being from one end of the fretboard to the other, yeah. too. You're running your scales and doing that stuff. If you can't feel your fingers, it's hard to feel even frets. Yeah. To do it. <laughs> Where am I at now? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so you get through those, uh, <clears throat> let's see, you get through the Whiplash Tour. And now, was, were the 17 shows consecutive, like now you're just touring with Ted, or how, how did that work? No, so uh, we we did the, the so the whiplash was six nights. We did uh, Appleton, and then we came all the way back. We played Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids, so that was our first arena show. That was pretty cool. And then we played. Uh, we went back to Chicago, and we played two nights at the House of Blues, and uh, that was awesome. The that was just playing in there was special. I was to say that just being able to play at the House of Blues would. would I mean that's got to be a notch. Yeah, I mean it's awesome. Just completely the the acoustics in there are awesome. And then we played at Star Plaza, um, which is just it was Northeast Indiana. It's another big venue. A lot of, if you looked it up, they just they just shut down a few years ago. But uh, they there's a lot of uh, big bands that played there, and it was another kind of like a House of Blues. It was a big theater. Yep. And then the, the last show of that tour was with. It was, uh, we opened up for Sammy Hagar, who opened up for Nugent. Gotcha. Wow. Cool. At 
the palace. Did you meet Sammy? Yeah, well, yeah, it's funny. So <laughs> we get there, and we're in this huge dressing room. Uh, you know, it's it's like a locker room, and I got to go to the bathroom. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of fumbling around. He had multiple doors, and uh, I go from one place to the next place, and um, it's bathrooms, and I'm, I'm but. There's like kind of like a little hall or like a little doorway frame, you know, without a door, but just kind of right. walking through the frame. Right. And I and I kind of bump in this little short dude with curly hair, blonde curly hair, and uh, I was like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, and he's like, "Hi," you know, and he kind of gave me like a weird look. So I go, I'm over at the urinal, I'm doing my thing, and I I started thinking about it, like that was Sammy Hagar, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just ran into him. <laughs> I got freaking injury, y'all. I got a piss so bad. I don't care. <laughs> and then I get back to the locker room and I tell the guys, I'm like, hey, I just ran into Sammy Hagar. I was going to the bathroom. And uh, they're like, no way. And we're like, I was like, yeah. They're... And so we went to, they, I don't know, somebody went to check. The door was locked. <laughs> you know, it went, he gave me that look. He must have went right to management and was like, lock that door. So we never, hmm. got, never got to see him after that. So you played the palace? Yeah, we played the palace, man. Dude, how many people can say that? I probably not. Well, you, I mean, there's a lot, but idiots like us, who can say that? Not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That was really cool playing the palace. That's and then, sweet. uh, and then like, we started doing one-off shows. So we got to play and that show was actually, uh, there's a live version of that show, um, that they released on an album. And then we played pine knob with him. And, uh, that was the, last show that he rode a the buffalo to oh, the great white buffalo yeah yep. it wasn't white but it was, uh, it was but yeah probably borrowed it from domino's farms i don't know where he got it it was the same <laughs> buffalo they were retiring that buffalo that was going to be the last uh time they were going to use that buffalo and it was funny as they uh we were out there and this is when tommy Clutters was was there and i remember him saying hey do you want to go see the the buffalo and i was like yeah and he, like, yeah, they got it out. So we walk out there. There's this truck where, the, where they had stored it. And then they brought it out, put the gate up, and they built a yellow rope, like yellow half-inch diameter rope fence around this buffalo. That was the only thing that was containing the buffalo. <laughs> it was a yellow rope. And I was sitting there petting it, and I just like, like wow, like this thing could just take off and right. I'd be dead. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, 1,200-pound so, buffalo chasing you, you around the street. Yeah. While you guys are touring, I mean, are you in a van? Are you a truck? How, how do you, I know you had a trailer, but so obviously Uncle Ted probably had a big tour bus and shit. What, what were you guys in? Uh, we rented a U-Haul van and a U-Haul uh, carrier or trailer. Trailer. Sleeping in hotels? Yeah. Yep. And we, we basically stuffed all of us into one room, but our sound guy, uh, he got his own room. <laughs> so... Uh, Dude, you guys are doing all this traveling, playing all these shows all over. How did you manage that with your regular jobs? Like, how'd that work? Uh, personally, for me, I did. It was all vacation, right? I just I, all my vacation was used on you know, doing shows, and then I, you know, I probably took some, you know, time off without getting paid. So, were you married at the time when when you guys were getting into this? Well, I got married. Yeah, well, I got married during it. So this is so the show with Nugent was two thousand uh New Year's Eve two thousand with Nugent and um Sammy. 
and it would be I started dating my wife in 2000 so and then we got married in 2002 so basically it was almost like two years later we got married after that show and that was when I got married we were still so so what well we were still like in the running to get a record deal right but it was on the back end like you know I I honestly didn't think it was going to happen when by the time I got married um so what had occurred is the after we did the Nugent Whiplash Bash and like I said we did a bunch of one-off shows and you know we don't all different places we played Toledo Cincinnati whatever um I don't want to blow it off, but I'm just trying to make right, it Right, I'm like, I'm thinking, yeah, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> you know, it was all special. <laughs> but uh, after those shows, that was, that was when Columbia was like, all right, we want you guys to do a record. And so we ended up cutting a, uh, a demo for them. And it, it was really different. Like, so... Um, First off, like I'm like, all right, when we, you know, we're gonna go up to the studio, and then all of a sudden it was like, no, you, the band's not going up to the studio. It's just gonna be Chad and Dylan. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay, well, that must just mean we you know they're gonna go up there, they're gonna talk strategy, or whatever, you know, kind of come up with what we're gonna do for songs, and um, then Wall we'll go up there, and then it it never got to that. It was just Chad and Dylan went up there and they wrote all the songs for our. It was a five song demo. Which is kind of it's actually disappointing to me because we never wrote that way, like, and we wrote songs like, and and I wrote like fifty percent of the songs, so to not be involved in like my own future, mm-hmm. right, was kind of unsettling to me. Yeah. Um. But you know, we as a band, I would bring a song to the table, and those guys all had different opinions, mm-hmm. and that's kind of really how we had this. I would say not like our own unique sound is that it was a blend of different backgrounds. Yeah. Right. Well, then you talk, that's the tightness that you were talking about earlier as a band. Yeah. Cause you all had input into the sound of the songs. Yeah. Right. And our songs, like I said, they had that kind of that Deftones, early Deftones, early Alice in Chains type. Of, yeah. You know, harder edge type to the right. songs. Right. Not death metal, but, yeah, good, good rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not death metal at all. Yeah, and uh, those are the five songs that came back, they were like songs that, and they were good songs. I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to like. I lo- I like the songs. I love in some ways. I love them, but it was like they were breaking Benjamin songs. Right. Yeah. You guys are. We're not. This ain't. This ain't our sound. Yeah. It was totally different, and it was super high polished, and. And there was one song on there that uh, that uh, was sounded like a Mad Morgan song, and it was the only song that we still played. Like all the other songs, eventually got cut off our set list. And I guess what happened was this, the those songs, the record company liked them, but they wanted they they weren't like instant like hits, right? And so they were kind of like, well, we want you to, we want, we want you to continue writing songs and we want to hear these songs played live well. And because they could have been hits if we could like, 
they could have grown it if if we could play those songs in a live setting. Mm-hmm. Like, but well, we never. Well, we, what's weird to me is that <clears throat> they like the they like the sound that you guys were putting out prior to meeting with them and those two guys going up there. I mean, the the music you guys are putting out is putting ass in the seats. Why wouldn't they stick with what is working? Why, and, like, I don't understand the what what was the what was the change? Why why change? I mean, if you if what you're doing is working, then why? Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I I mean, I'm, I think a lot of bands have that same issue, though. You know, like when you have a local band that's awesome and everybody loves them locally, it might not. I think the record deal company might say it's not good enough for national or worldwide play for whatever reason they think because they're in it to make money obviously right um maybe they want it more polished and pretty and the bells and whistles and i don't know yeah but if i mean if that's what's working for you and obviously you didn't get to where you were at by playing shit music right why not stick with what you're doing that was always my contention and they you know the other part of it is they we they recorded it with Chris, the our guy that they AR guy, the guy that got us with Doug Banker. He, uh, him and his brother ran a studio in Ann Arbor called Forty Ounce Studio, Forty Ounce Sound, and um, yeah, I think like Drew and Chris, I think had a lot of hands into that writing process. And um, so wasn't as much as Chad and Dylan. Yeah, I mean certainly it was there. Uh, a lot of it was, you know, like was Dylan's guitar riffs, but then a lot of it was, I think, like Chris and Drew, you know, said, "Well, make this change or do that," you know. Like I think they had a lot of input, and it, and it also, I think they wanted song credits too. Like it, you, it became a real it, business end of it. Like, do you think it would have been different if they would have said, "No, if we if we go, we're going as a band, we're going to record as a band." Do you think it would have went a different direction? I think it would have helped. Yeah. 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 I yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. I mean, you guys are a team. You're a family at this point. Right. I mean, you guys are you're living together more than you're living at home. You're, you know, you guys are all putting in your creative uh artistry and your your, you know, everybody's talents is being showcased and to t- try to dial that down into just two people. I mean, you it's, you know, I think it would have worked better if they would have had everybody come in, play the music you've been playing that makes people cheer and clap and want you to sign their boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that would have worked better. And I'm obviously not a, a, a record person or whatever, but I feel like it's almost like, well, you guys are the pretty boys of the band. And I don't know any of these guys, so I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but we think you guys are the ones that are going to sell music or you're going to sell albums. We want you, but these guys, almost like the No Doubt story. Remember the band No Doubt from yeah. the 90s? Yeah. So Gwen Stefani got put on the pedestal, cute blonde, and it was kind of like the other guys got pushed to the side, but the other guys are what made Gwen Stefani Gwen Stefani. Right. That's kind of how I look at it. Like, You need the whole team there to create that. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Like, if it was like management was like they just thought these were the two guys that wrote the music, and I, you know, I, I, I just don't know. 
like I wasn't privy to the conversations that yeah. took place and uh, but you know it was, it was kind of my fault too because I didn't like force your or not say force but did you didn't question it though like why we're together why are you two going and not well it's probably because it's new you're like I have no idea how this works and maybe this is what's supposed to happen yeah well and then it was just like a question like yeah like you know well, why is it just the two of you and they're like well that's you know what that's you know what the management team thinks should happen and you're just kind of like putting your trust I guess okay. in the, right well it's worked out this far you know yeah yeah so that, and that really changed I honestly that changed the di- the chemistry of the band for a long time because uh when we came out of that um it, like again the the record label was like hey you guys need to write songs and I remember there you know we're talking about the business end of it and I guess that's why it's called music business yeah or industry <laughs> but uh at that time like all my my only concern is like let's get we want to get signed right right and like there's like a couple weeks that go by and, and I don't think like well a couple weeks go by and then Chad I'll go go back to the demos for a second but uh, a couple weeks go by and Chad and Dylan are like hey we gotta have a meeting I was like alright all right, I'll have a meeting and uh, it was just the three of us <laughs> I thought that was weird like we never had a meeting, just the three of us. And they're like, hey, uh, we decided we're going to make you part of the songwriting team. And I was like, what? I've always been part of the songwriting yeah, team. Yeah, I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about? When did that change that I wasn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, songwriting. Like, the the CD that we sent to 89X that got us the birthday bash had five songs on it. I wrote four of them. If the fifth song was a song that our drummer stole from his previous band. You know, and I'm not saying I'm the best songwriter, but obviously I have some type of creativity that could have been used, and I'm writing songs, so they, they're telling me this. So I'm just thinking, like, I don't understand where this is coming from. It's like, it was a business thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, they wanted to get money for writing songs, and it was obviously, like, that came out of those sessions with, uh, you know, that they where they did the, the demo for columbia and it was god it was it just like i said like it it felt like they were wanted to make money versus get famous or, or not fame but uh get signed and you know right yep. and go down that path of what you see a lot of bands will have like the what it wonders they have a good original song and then it's so commercialized after that that nobody wants yeah to you ever seen the movie the wonders no, you've, you've never. Have you ever seen the movie? I, the one I've never seen it either. Tom Hanks and his son. And his son's the oh, drummer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Come on. Yeah. I don't know. Not a I real band, but yeah. <laughs> kind of same thing. Same concept. Yes. All right. We gotta take a break. We'll, we'll be take back. Take a break. Getting in some good stuff here. See you in a bit. This segment is brought to you by Components Plus. Hey golfers, are you looking to upgrade your clubs, bag, or accessories? Components Plus is a place for you as an authorized dealer for Ping and Callaway. Components Plus also does repairs on most makes and models of clubs. As their name suggests, they can also build a club from scratch from a wide variety of brands to suit your needs. You can even get fitted from a pro golfer. Your grip not so grippy anymore? Components Plus has a great variety of grips to choose from, 
And in most cases, your club can be regripped while you wait. Components Plus has hundreds of golf accessories. You can even get four gloves for 20 bucks. And while you're there, don't forget to check out their selection of Skechers shoes and sandals. Components Plus is locally owned and operated. They're located right in front of the Legacy Golf Course. The address is 7677 US 223, Ottawa Lake, Michigan. Check out the website at componentsplus.com or give them a call, 734-854-7550. And for all our listeners, you can get an additional 10% off just by mentioning Black Cash Podcast on all your purchases, excluding Ping and Callaway sales. Again, mention Black Cash Podcast and receive 10% off. Cash Podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Mike, the former lead guitar for Man Morgan and my brother-in-law. What's going on, man? Nothing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> like I'm just, we're in an interview. You tell me what's going on. <laughs> well, we were talking, I guess, towards the end of Man Morgan's uh, existence, well, more or less. So you got, they come to you and they said... Um, we want you to be part of our writing team. And you were like, what the fuck, dude? I've been part of this since since the get-go. Yeah, and so... And the thing is, is I don't think there was any, like... Ill and bad intentions with that. Yeah, I mean, we all just wanted to get signed, right? Right. But for some reason, they, you know... They got this thing in their head that, you know, we had to be have roles. Like, everybody in the... Like, no, so our roles we're gonna write songs and uh, I guess Ron and Wes are just gonna do what we tell them. So, and you know, like I and I think they got that from our management. Like our management's like, hey, well, if it wasn't like that before, I mean, one would think naturally that you know Occam Razor was the fact that what changed all of a sudden, right? Before when it, all five people had the input to writing a song, right? And, and all of a sudden I was like, yeah. Huh. No, and, not so and much. there's something to be said about uh, Ron and Wes. They they really didn't contribute a lot, but their opinion was just as valid as anybody else's. Right. Well, you want I could add this a little bit. You know, even if it's just a couple chords or notes here and there, just to add a little more depth. Sure. And you don't think about it like you know what that's a good idea. Cool. Yeah. And you know it's not a huge contributing factor to a song, but it does give you a little more depth. Right. You know. What? No, there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. Right. Make song sound better. And, cool. And, and it and that that's still not like in songwriting. That's not really. Uh, a, you wouldn't get a song credit for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. Right. Right. No. No. I get you there. But you know, you look at Flea, for, and and he's like pretty much, 
the best bass player in my opinion, as far as because he's more of us the lead for uh, for the band, and he just goes to cra- he goes crazy. Yeah, I mean, he just you don't see many bass players that are like Flea. Yeah, right? it's like a, yeah, he's like a lead guitar player. Really, he is. It's just it's just different sound. Yeah. You know, he hits his thumb and puck, plucks, and he's just going crazy. And the, really, the guitar isn't the main focus of their band, Red oh. Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, if well, anybody they, doesn't know who I'm talking about, sorry. Yeah, I wish I could remember. Well, they got uh, the hit. They had a couple of really good guitar players in that band. Yeah, now, I'm saying the guitar isn't good. It's just Flea is like the centerpiece of, you know. Yeah, well, I get you. I hear, hear what you're saying. So, anyways, so <clears throat> back to. <laughs> Sorry, we got off on a tangent there. But, yeah. So back to it's it's uh, they ask you to be let us be three, and what happens? Well, so you know, I just kind of like brushed it off my back. Like I was just like, well, all right, whatever. You know, I mean, we're it's not changing. Any, you're going to tell me that, but we're it's not changing anything. It's always been this way. So I just didn't really think about it. I was just like, I'm not going to worry about it. Certainly, if Ron and Wes came up with a song that was a great song we were going to play it right so i didn't think even that wasn't even a matter with those guys but it just kind of had that business type attitude now with the band whereas before it was like all we want to do is get signed and we uh and like i said like so columbia they wanted to they wanted to see if we could play these songs live when we never could because there's all there's just too much polishing done in the studio so when we played it live they didn't sound good. Like the, uh, you know, there's a lot of harmonies in those songs that we didn't have in our earlier songs, and we couldn't hit the harmonies. And did you sing as well? <laughs> they, uh, no. You well, tried. I, you tried. Well, what's funny is so in those demo tapes, uh, or for Columbia, I played in three of the songs. So I, I cut a solo in one. Uh, I, I did some like kind of like uh, arpeggio kind of stuff uh, over chords on another and then um, uh, what did I, I did kind of a filler thing that was never played live on another song which was more than Ron and Wes got to do I don't think they even played on it, any of those songs um, it was the guys up, up there that played the drums and the bass oh really yeah well, that's kind of that's kind of shitty. I th- thought it was for the yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of thought it. I was mean, for it's our band too. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a group thing. It but, isn't. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, it's like we're trying to get signed, and we're just trying to do what they're kind of, you know, directing us to do. So. Yeah, but you got you guys are getting signed, not you three, and then two studio artists. That's. I mean, it had to make those guys feel like shit. I'm sure it did. That's why I said I think it just changed the the dyna- the the chemistry that we had. Kind of kind of puts a wedge in between some people. Yeah, for sure. And so that affected the writing process, and we couldn't write. You know, Columbia's like, hey, we want to hear these live. You know, we're trying to play them live. They're not sounding really good. Um, because it wasn't hear- natural. Right. Exactly. It was right. on our development. Yeah. A lot of it. Right. Uh, and it was, you know, that you could do it with tricks in the studio, right? But to play it live, is you can blend everything together yeah. in the studio. But when it goes live, you're like, okay, well, 
Yeah. It ain't going to work. There's no net. You right. know, you're, you're on a tightrope, no net. Unless you practice four times a day, three months straight. Well, we did. We practiced a lot, but it just it was hard Some to get Some things those. you can't recreate live. You, It's just. Right. Yeah. It's, it's what it is. Yeah. When you're getting pushed beyond your talent limits, you can do that in a studio setting. And it, it actually might work if it was just like one person. Right. But when it's two people. And they're trying to do all these, you know, harmonies that sound really well. And you're trying to get both of them to, to, you know, reach the sky per se at the same time, and it it never really so came off well. What happens? Well, so we 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 weren't playing the songs live, and then we couldn't write new songs. And I think that was part. Like, I don't know if it was because, like. I don't think I don't think it was because Chad and Dylan cared that they got didn't or did or get did or didn't get a writing credit, but it was like I would bring a song, and then I was like, well, that's that doesn't fit the formula anymore. Like, like we were trying to like make these Breaking Benjamin type songs. I think, I think that's in their mind. You know, we needed to. That's the route they wanted to go. That's what we had to sell. What do you think made them think that? Well, if this don't fit our formula, that our our formula's gotten us where we're at right now. That's what I don't know. I always you know? felt like we should just be doing what we did before, right? And you drew crowds. Obviously, Ted Nugent, everybody else saw value in your songs, or you wouldn't be there with them. Yeah, yeah. And so, but, why are we changing it now? Well, I guess. I guess it's to, so we could sell it to Columbia. Right. And it's, you know, again, they were do. it was the same thing with them. Like Dylan would bring a song and, you know, it was, you know, the, it didn't fit the formula. The, the course couldn't come up with a big course, like a breaking Benjamin type course or, you know, it was like just what, whoever brought in a song, it just never seemed to be good enough. Where before we were just like, you bring a song in and we just worked on it and made it a good song. Right. Right. You know, we kept working on it, working on it until it was a good song. Cause right. like, Hey, that's a really cool, uh, lick you got there. Let's right. He had a rough oh. version of something and you guys perfected it. Yeah. Were you guys ever approached by any other, um, record labels? Yeah, we, uh, yeah. So here's another, <laughs> God damn it. I mean, I know, I know Columbia's a big company, but, and there's, a, I'm, I'm sure you got approached by a hundred small companies, but not a hundred. But, but you know uh, what I'm saying? Like, there, I'm sure there was always somebody, but <clears throat> yeah, so, somebody as big or close to Columbia. So we were we were approached by Electra. Yep. Uh, who had? I don't know what they still had Metallic, but they they made Metallic huge, and uh, they uh, so we did a showcase, a private showcase for Electra. The, the guy flew in. Which, and I thought this was kind of weird because he's like, yeah, you know, we like you, but right now we don't have room on the roster, so we're not signing anybody, but, you know, keep us in the loop type of thing. And then we met with Immortal Records. Now, Immortal Records at the time had Incubus. That was their big band. Uh, they had previously had Korn. Um, they gave us a deal. They were like, we want to sign you. Here's a record contract. Uh, sign it and we'll move forward and our management was like that's eh, not enough money and they they turned it down 
because they they were convinced that we were going to get a deal from Columbia and it would be worth more money. And so we actually uh, had a bird in hand and threw it away. Yeah, but you know, looking back, I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. That's true. And and you're looking for your management, like these guys have been in the business for a long time. You know, you kind of kind of piggybacking off of them and hoping their knowledge is what they say it is and and yeah you're absolutely right at the time we were just like well they know what they're doing right right and then nothing well i can't say nothing but i mean like as far as it all kind of so so what happened with columbia is you know again it was it was there was always like the the carrot was there it was ours to grab we just needed to produce some more songs or and, make these other yeah these but do you songs. think they're putting the carrot too far ahead or unreachable do you think it was... No, I don't. Because... But, oh, well, let me rephrase it. Do you think you would have had to sell yourself out to reach that carrot? Maybe. To to Possibly, yes. To get to where they wanted you was, from what I'm understanding, was really uncomfortable, uncomfortable for you and the rest of your band, or at least a handful of the guys, to do... But you could probably have done what they wanted, but it wouldn't have been what you wanted to do. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying. So to me, those demo songs, I like I said, I like them. It's not like I dislike them. It's just that I, I dislike the process of how they came about. And they didn't write. They didn't sound a lot like Manboard again. But I would have been happy if if they were like, yeah, we're going to make these. We're going to release these songs. Like. Just be, just to, to to make it, right? But do you think it would have ever got better? Like, what was your... I mean, <clears throat> what's the end game there? I mean, so you put out these songs that say they do like them, but you're not comfortable with them. In your mind, were you thinking, well, you know, let us get our shoe in the door, and then we'll start doing our own shit? Yeah. That yeah, makes you sense. you got to get yeah. a shoe in. Yeah. It's so hard to get to that point. Right. Well, no, you get to, I mean, just, just to get to where you guys were at was... Even if you were, you had to do three or four albums with Columbia, um, and then you could like say, you know what, we're going to do our own thing, and produce and do, because by that time you probably had some clout and some money, where you could have had your own stuff. But, and and I don't want to put words in your mouth, with doing that, okay, you put out an album or two of what they wanted, and then you're like, all right, we got a foothold in the industry, now we're going to start doing our thing, what we want to do, you kind of have a following already of what you the national audience is here and i think it'd be a hard adjustment to all right we're breaking away we're going to do what we originally went to yeah you'd have your original fans like oh this is a great shit but do you think the national audience would have would you know that's something you're gonna you would have to tear yourself with you know is the national audience going to appreciate the music like we do well it's hard it's a hard question to ask yeah and and there's a thousand what ifs a thousand what ifs yeah it's so it's and i think I think really like you get your foot in the door and I think you have more control on that. Even on that first album, you could have those songs on there. Right. But then you can have some songs that didn't fit the mold that they were necessarily looking for. Mm -hmm. But then those songs that you wanted maybe opens up some eyes and like, all right, well, what they're doing is fucking working. Yeah. I mean, and and maybe the band, like maybe the, or it's hard to say like, once you release those songs 
if you have some songs on there that maybe you sold out to Columbia for, maybe those aren't the ones that are the hits. Maybe it's the ones that right. you are the you right know, you believe in. Right. Well, and you listen to like a lot of bands. You know, like they'll have a one hit wonder, more or less. Um, and I didn't care for, it, but then you buy the album because you hear it so much. And I, I like the band; they sound really good. But then you listen deeper into their album, and you're like, I like these songs way better. Very naked ladies. <laughs> you know, but the songs that Chumbo Wumba. <laughs> you remember Chumbo Wumba? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> but you listen. You know, like I'll listen. You know, back in the day, I, Blind Melon or whatever. It was like the okay, their hit song was this. But you listen deeper into the album; it's probably more them than it is the record label. Yeah. And they had really good songs that didn't get a whole lot of airtime, though. But you get a, I guess, a cult following, I guess. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, I like this band because, yeah, everybody loves hearing this song. But I can't actually like the songs better that are, you know, 10 uh, songs down in their album, you know? Right. So, I don't know. It's a weird industry, I'm sure. And yeah. There's a lot that you guys didn't know about. Yeah, I mean, you're learning a lot as you go, and, you know, it's easy to kind of go back and say, yeah, I probably should have spoke my mind, but just trying to follow what we thought. Hindsight's 20-20, though, at that point, you know. Well, you're young and naive, too. Yeah. You know, you're just looking for a contract. Yeah, and you, you know, know, you got the stars in your eyes, you know. You're like, fuck, dude, here we are. We're getting, we're going to make it, and I'm just going to go. These guys have been in the industry forever. They know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah, and like I said, those songs sounded great. I mean, they were just... You know, they were obviously you listen to them. And you're like, well, that could be on a on the radio, right? Yeah, it could be. So, when when that album with you guys with Columbia and that whole ordeal was that kind of started the start of the demise of of you guys? I mean, yes and no. So, so again, they were the carrot was out there. All we needed to do was come up with more songs, and. While all this was happening, we had a problem with our drummer. And he he had an addiction problem that I don't want to go into too much. No, don't. Don't worry about it. And uh, we ended up having to get rid of him. And that was a real hard thing to do, super hard thing to do. So uh, we brought in a new drummer, and the having Brian come in was like, a, for me, it was a godsend because... He, his whole his whole attitude was I don't give a shit what the record label wants you know his his attitude was let's make good songs yeah let's just play good music and and we I don't you know let's just make them the way we want to make them and so we actually we started writing some songs once Brian got in the band again and they were good songs and uh, it really helped us out but the problem with with you know in the in record industry is you're only hot like it, it's a flash in the pan right yeah Electra's gone Immortal's gone we still had Columbia but then Columbia had a huge management change a bunch of people got fired including the person that had the power to sign us that was you know she was the one that was showing up to our shows telling us you know this is what you gotta do and so she was gone and so we lost our contact with Columbia and then that was pretty much like the end of the dream of getting signed so she, I got, she got fired and then they just kind of never talked to you again or how does that work 
it was pretty much yeah she's she was the one that was interested and we're not yeah nobody else is yeah Yeah. fuck but you know the thing like (coughs) we were still going strong as a band i mean we were playing in toledo we 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 opened up a lot of headliner shows uh national acts you know we played uh we played with sponge a couple times uh, we the funny thing is Sponge. Just I'm gonna interject real quick. They were we were at uh, Devil's Lake or wherever, one of the lakes there in Irish Hills, and they were carrying Vinny, the lead singer, because my ex brother used to know him personally. They grew up with him, and they were just carrying their own crap in. And it was just a small bar, and they were playing their biggest hits. But it was like we we're out there dancing with them, and they were just playing with the people. You know, it's like I think they had more fun. They just looked like they were having fun. They were. I mean? They were one of my, uh, the best bands we played with. Yeah, Vinny was really cool to us. Yeah, and uh, he's down to earth, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what's funny. He's skinny little shit, but he's cool as hell. Yeah. It, well, we were back. <laughs> we were backstage. Like main event had a like a janitor's closet for backstage, and uh, he was doing his hair, and I like he had long hair, but he put it in like a. Uh, mohawk yeah with spikes yeah and if he he was if you ever want to know how to put a spike a 12 inch spike <laughs> and make it work yeah he used elmer's glue i'd never seen that before no <laughs> he had short hair when he was at the local bar I and mean, it was a good sized bar it wasn't like a you know rat wall you know a little hole in the wall place but you know i had a big area for the band to play and everything like that and there's tons of people in there um, that was a good time. Yeah, th- he, those guys were fun, and Vinny was really cool to us. Yep. Um, and then we played uh, uh, Jerry Cantrell. That was a big one for me because I was a huge Alice oh, I love, Yeah, I love Jerry Cantrell. And he was pretty cool, down-to-earth guy, too. He yeah. Was, uh, headliners, or hard hat. I don't know if it was hard hat or headliners at the time, but whatever. There's train tracks out back, and uh, we're out there talking with him, and he's like, hey, man, uh, there's train tracks out here. He's like, I got some quarters. And so he's out there putting quarters on the train tracks. <laughs> uh, we played. Uh, we played with the Colt there, dude. I, oh, the Colt, dude. I like the Colt. Yeah, yeah. Fire Woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we got to, like I said, we got to play a lot of cool shows. We played with. Uh, we opened up for Nickelback, but Nickelback didn't show up. Fuck Nickelback, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but you're like good thing they didn't show up. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to be totally associated fine with this. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't never a fan of Nickelback. They, they went. Oh, well, I don't know. I didn't really listen to them prior, but I think they went full commercial. Just that, that sellouts. Yeah, they got boot. I don't, did you ever see that video where they went down to uh, Brazil? And got fucking booed off stage. Oh, and they're like, I, yeah, I, have seen he, I don't know what their lead singer's name is. Doesn't matter. He's like, if you don't want to hear Nickelback, let us know. Everybody's like, boo, <laughs> yeah. like, fuck it, we're done. Yeah, I, I do. I remember that. <laughs> uh, I think his name's Chad Kilger, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, he got busted at the border, so they didn't make the show. Mm. Huh? Oh, fucking well. <laughs> Did you guys have a good turning for fuck that? them Canucks? <laughs> yeah, I don't like. <laughs> Do you have a good I like Canucks though. Yeah. Well, you like hockey. So yeah, but you can't. Yeah, dude. I'm yeah. I'm a I'm a Wings fan, diehard. I, I'm still I'm still living on the old like 2000 team, 2002 team. <laughs> I know. I seen a thing the other day where they were interviewing Wayne Gretzky, and they're like, 
hey, what was it like playing down the greatest hockey team ever assembled? He goes, I don't know. I didn't play for the 2000 Wings. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, you know. That's yeah. pretty cool. They answer. had the best guys ever. Played them too long. Didn't I love have- I love Iserman. Iserman's back now. So it's hopefully we'll see. the tides will turn here. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I know. Just because you're a good player doesn't mean you're going to be a good coach. You yeah, know. I, was, I was actually uh, like kind of hockey withdrawal because I've been watching hockey. Uh, God, I, I swear since February, like I got the, I bought the pack, uh, the ticket or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was watching. Uh, I was, I'm a Blackhawks fan. What the f- dude? <laughs> Come on, now I'm a Red Wings fan. We can't be friends. <laughs> I, I, that's a yeah. Only only reason I I'm I'm cool with the Blackhawks is because original we're origi- six. original six. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different story. I'm a Blackhawks fan. Long, but... As long as you're not an Avalanche fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate the Avalanche. But uh, I, I I bought that ticket and then uh, I've been watching it like ever like hockey almost every night and then uh, Saturday night was the first night they had, like there wasn't a hockey game because they're in the finals. Now. Yeah, I was gonna say they're in the finals now, and it's Canucks. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Montreal, right? The Habs. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> But, uh, well, anyways, uh, I was kind of trying to wrap this up. I know we've been talking a lot. But, so Brian got in the band, and, um, you know, we pretty much kind of just, it was like an even ride. You know, we just, we, we played a lot of headlining acts in Toledo. You know, we, at that time, we started getting more money uh, playing shows. And um, we played, you know, we did a lot of shows. We did shows in Detroit area course and uh but we really kind of stayed it was you know we didn't really travel unless we played with nugent and then we didn't only travel like more than a day away so we never did the whole like get in the car and go to the west coast type of thing right did you ever think there was a time where you could go i mean i know you only spoke to ted once but like did it ever cross your mind like maybe we should talk to ted about what's going on what what does he think we should do because he's been in the industry for ever yeah, that didn't really quite. That didn't. <laughs> I never thought of again like, twenty twenty vision, but yeah, I don't. I don't know that if he. I don't know that he would have said anything. Or... Yeah, well, he was cert- real we, private. He was a <clears throat> private guy. You certainly got a fucking kick ass story, nonetheless. I mean, the things you've done, the things you've seen, it's it's stuff that other people would only hope to do. So I I don't see anywhere in your in your life as far as a musician that you should have any regret i think it's awesome that you guys got to do what you did just a bunch of kids that put something together and it grew and and dude you're playing with ted nugent you're going to new york you're you're playing the fucking palace you i mean you played pine knob yeah. yeah it's a big deal dt I mean, for you younger listeners dte energy theater yes yeah yeah kid rock still pine knob to me so but <laughs> you got to do all this cool ass shit and i'm sure you've met a ton of kick-ass artists and people in your travels, I mean, there's, dude, that's that's the stuff that a lot of people wish they could have done. It, it's it's been pretty cool. There's we done some, we did a lot of cool things. Um, one of the one of the things I got to do is I actually played Ted Nugent's guitar. <laughs> really, oh, nice. he doesn't know it. <laughs> he just picked <laughs> he it up know. and. <laughs> well, we were so we were recording at forty ounce, and we went back up to forty ounce a couple different times and did some more songs up there. <clears throat> And the one time we were there, they were actually doing the... He was recording, I think, his Crave Man album there. 
Okay. Which is album? He came out in like two thousand one or two thousand two. So his, his his whole setup was there, and I was up there, and I was kind of I think I was there by myself cutting some leads or something like that. Um. And the the guys were like, "Hey, uh, Ted Nugent's guitars in there. Do you want to play it?" Fucking. Hey. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> yeah. He runs. Does he run a Gibson? Or uh, Birdland. Birdland. Okay. So I got a question for you. I wanted to ask you, and I almost asked you off air, but I'm going to ask you. I used to stop in um, South Bend, Indiana. I might when I would travel home from Oklahoma, and I'd go to this bar, best bar I've ever been to in my life. All these huge bands have played there, but it's a small little venue. It's a fucking hole in the wall. It's called um, Cheers in South Bend. You ever played there? Do you remember ever playing at Cheers? They have fucking memorabilia from ceiling to floor all over. Awesome. So, we, yeah, you know, we played South Bend a couple times, and I think the one time we played may have been Cheers. It looks like a fucking biker bar, and it's like looking at the outside, you're like, this is, I don't need to be here. You walk in, and it's like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It, they got drumsticks, cymbals, picks, guitars, everything from top to bottom, pictures. Ozzy Osbourne's played there. Black Sabbath's played there. Everybody has played there, but it's just this little fucking building. It's awesome. Is it? Is it more like a theater? No, no, it's a bar. Okay, right off, right off of eighty. That definitely could have been one of the places because I, I know we played at the Heartland. Okay, was one of the places, but I, I don't think we played the same place twice there. So I, that could have been the other place we played. It was, dude. If you haven't played there, you got to check it out. It's right at the exit where you get off to go to the university. Yeah, that might have been where we played the second time. It was fucking sweet. Because I asked the guy, I'm like, how the fuck? And he's like, well, they play at the college, but then when they're sitting here for three or four days, they'll just come here and play a show, charge five bucks a head, and it's... Everybody comes. Like, Where's all the cars? It's college kids. They all walk. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. it was Well, funny, uh, we played... Uh, so we, one of the other places we played in Indiana was Piers. Yeah, and, uh, we got thirty seconds left. We're gonna have to cut you off. All right. <laughs> no, but we'll have you back on though, man, dude. Yeah. It's been a great show. Thanks, Mike. Yep, awesome. Loved having you on, dude. Appreciate cool, everything. We'll have man. you back on. Great we'll, story. We'll d- dive into uh, other conversations as well. Hundred yeah, percent. Cool. So. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, thank you guys. It was a good time. <laughs>